Welcome to Dice Talk. Dice Talk is the show where we talk all things Dungeons and Dragons to come up with some helpful hints and interesting ideas that you can bring back to the gaming table. I'm your host, Jeremy Fair, and this is episode two, Character Building. We have a lot to talk about in today's episode, so let's get into it on Dice Talk. Welcome to the second episode of Dice Talk. Tonight we are talking about character creation. To help us talk about this, we have one of my very good friends, George Sobranes. George, why don't you introduce yourself and just kind of, you know, tell everybody what you like about D&D, your experience with it, and kind of why you show up at the table every week. It's just the excitement of it, just uh, the hanging out with friends and just uh, getting lost in the imagination is really the big appeal to me. When you first played D&D, how did you approach making your very first character? What was the very first thing you did when you decided, hey, I'm going to play in this D&D campaign? My first character's name was T-Nibbles, and uh, I'm a pretty sarcastic person, so I, I just wanted to have the most fun possible. And it was cool because like, I'm kind of a short guy, and so I naturally gravitated to the shorter characters to just connect more with them. So I went with a gnome. <laughs> and just wanting to have fun with it, I just made up a lot of stuff as I went about gnomes. Like, the main thing I was adamant about is calling it Gnome. <laughs> Someone would be like, oh, what's a gnome like you doing here? And I'd be like, well, it's Gnome, but whatever. And I just kept that joke going. So really, it was just what I could have the most fun doing is kind of what went into what would become T-Nibbles. And along with the name T-Nibbles, I just wanted to think of something funny. Because a lot of the gnomes I looked up, uh, they all had, you know, slightly more hilarious names on a certain scale. Well, when you made T-Nibbles, what was the first thing you came up with? Did you come up with his name first? Oh, yeah. Name. Or was the first thing you <laughs> well, wanted to be a gnome? Or did uh, you want to be a rogue? Yeah, first thing was the race. Um, so far, any time I've made a character is I pick the, the race and then the class, and then the name just kind of slowly falls in at any point during there. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily before or after anything. It's just like it'll kind of click. But for T-Nibbles specifically, I just knew Gnome right away. I don't know why. I just kind of connected with them. Yeah, so I usually start with the race, and then what kind of class. Like Me personally, I find it harder to believe. Like Though I did talk about making one, uh, a barbarian gnome isn't too typical and obviously you can do whatever right. you want but yeah like it just I've done something like that before yeah naturally my brain doesn't put certain races with certain classes you know so it's like when i thought i was like all right i'm a gnome like slowly started kind of creating a backstory like a general idea of just what most gnome backstories are i was like all right what what would i most likely fall into class wise like gnomes have a little bit of magic i was like so maybe i could do wizard or something like that just with my personality, uh, Rogue seemed to fit the best just to play into my just having fun and being able to mess around with the situations that we're in. And like, usually my smart mouth would get me in trouble. So it's something that could help me out of the situation or in my case, it usually put me in the situation. Mm-hmm. Like I remember we were in the Sunless Citadel and we came across that queen um, and I'd been drinking that night. So I was just kind of letting whatever came to my brain flow off. And uh, I remember next thing I knew, after just a few smart, snarky comments, I had all the guards with their swords like by my neck. And I was like, all right, I might have fucked up here, but we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> yeah, and when you were picking your races to begin with, how daunting was that? I mean, right now there are, I think, twenty, like 24, maybe more different races that are 
absolute like canon by Wizards of the Coast. So was it difficult trying to pick through all the different races that were available to you? Or, you know, what made Gnome stand out like right from the get-go? Personally, no, just by my taste in things. So it's like a lot of races I just kind of wasn't interested in. Like, it's just not my thing. I don't know how to explain it. I just kind of... I'd see it, and I'm like, Dragonborn. I'm like, that's cool. That's just not me. I don't think I would ever make a Dragonborn character. I can't tell you why. That's just kind of how I feel about it. Um, But like I said, Gnome stuck out. I like the smaller characters, just being a small guy. It just kind of... I relate to it more. Because I don't think I can make an elf character because of me to try to imagine myself because elves are typically pretty tall to imagine myself as a tall person um is a weird aspect you know i'm just used to the world you know a little bit lower down (laughs) especially having a friend like parker who's six two and i'm five five so we stand pretty different you know together so it's like playing as a gnome i imagine talking and hanging out with parker would be the same way of like talking and hanging out with any other character so it's easier to be a gnome and place myself as a small person mm-hmm. in a big world easier to get in a character yeah exactly like i would if another character i'd probably do like a dwarf or like halfling just i enjoy being smaller characters like even my my new character now is a human mm-hmm. but i still made him short and through his story he actually thinks he's a gnome because he was tenable's half brother raised by gnomes <laughs> Well, I think for me, sometimes I might pick the the race first. I think I pick the class first. Yeah. I think when I'm trying to make a character, I'm thinking, all right, I want to make a wizard this time. What would be a cool wizard? And then, you know, it's like first thing that comes to mind, of course, would be elf. Mm. But I don't know. Recently, I've been thinking if I make a wizard character, it, it probably would be a gnome, actually. Just because, you know, gnomes do have the kind of spellcaster aspect to them. But yeah. I've, I've played a lot of different D&D games with a lot of different groups of people. And really, I don't ever come across gnomes that often. It seems like people don't really play gnomes that often, with the exception of you playing T-Nips in, in my campaign. I don't really encounter that many gnomes. So not only was it a little bit surprising for you to come to the table with a gnome character, and it has me interested in trying to you know play a gnome character myself. But yeah, um, when you're making characters, so you already figure them out. You know, you, you have their race, you have their class, you have an idea of kind of what you want them to be like. How do you make their personality? Do you do you come to the table saying, this is how my character is going to be? Or do you just flow with it? And do you kind of go with it and make it up as you go? And also, how much does your alignment play into that? Do you act a certain way and say, I think my character would be this alignment? Or do you just choose an alignment and then try your best to play towards that? The alignment is usually kind of hard for me because uh, I always just do chaotic neutral um, or chaotic good for my characters. because So Teen Impulse was just straight up me i didn't do a voice for him um a lot of personality traits were just mine put into the game and through his character for my second character i've definitely tried to just get more out of my comfort zone because as far as being like involved in the game Mm -hmm. at first just being me in the game was cool but in the end it was just me playing a game but now as my new character whose name is mir as him and doing a voice and like really get into the role playing it's actually like really changed the game for me yeah um, doesn't it seem like once you start role playing it kind of becomes a lot a lot better of an experience it oh. doesn't feel like just a board game which is fun yeah but it's i mean it's like you're you are these characters you're playing as these characters i think it's a lot more fun when everybody's in character and using voices and you know trying to play to a true character's nature yeah 100 percent. because early in our days like we were just hanging out playing a game so it's just a lot of shooting the shit on the side and just conversations going on. Over time, we've gotten comfortable around each other. And so now, 
a few games in, you know, just how we would react to um, your characters. You always made the NPCs and the voices, like, because everyone else's character is just their voice. Right. So it's like, it was kind of weird at first of just uh, the interaction level. It was very, a lot more simple early on compared to now, which we'll have nights where we're like, all right, guys, everyone in character full time. You know, that's why we started like the hand motions to let each other know what's in character and what's out of character and stuff like that. I've enjoyed just seeing the difference that has come over time naturally. Yeah, I think it's a lot more fun when everyone's in character. And I've been kind of trying... I mean, from the first you know game, I've been trying to play the NPCs in a certain character. I, I tried to give them all these memorable characteristics yeah. and make them stand out and describe them in a lot of detail, sometimes even providing a picture and always trying my best to get a voice. And I think it's a lot more fun when I'm giving out things and voices, I'm playing these characters, and other people are playing characters back to me. Mm. When everyone is talking in their own natural voice, it might be easier for them to pull off certain conversations, which yeah. I can understand. So there is always kind of that to think about. Somebody might be able to play their character better if they're not also worrying about their voice. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, for me personally, I want to get into something 100%. So I'm going to create a character voice. I'm going to try to put myself in this mindset of this is who I am. This is how I think. These are my ideals. These are the things that would piss him off. These are his goals. These are the things he wouldn't do. These are the things he would do. And I just feel like I provide better characters as a DM that way, but also when I'm playing in games, I feel like I'm providing a better experience for myself and for everybody else when I'm playing true to these different attributes. And so for me, when it comes to developing a character... I really put their personality and their their voice as like an important part of that for me. Um, I just think I don't know, it helps them really develop into something that's more than just an idea. It's like I, I really want to try to bring these characters to life at the table. Yeah. I have plenty of characters that I've just written, especially as a DM. I have so many characters I've written down that are just NPCs and it may eventually, you know, I might develop them into actual playable characters or vice versa. I create playable characters all the time, and once I've been, I'll use them as NPCs because I already know these deep stories and things about them. Sometimes that's the way I'll incorporate to make characters feel more lifelike in a game. And it's cool if I run different campaigns and the same people are in the campaigns, and then you run into the same NPC that's in the other one, or you hear a story about this person that did this great thing, and I think these are the ways that you can use your characters to really not only build your character, but to build the world around you. Yeah. Yeah. Your voices and the characters you've done have definitely been a big part of it as far as situations standing out. Like uh, the main one to me that stands out would be uh, Meeple, a.k.a. Meatball. Um, <laughs> Meeple. That was a reoccurring joke for a long time. Just You made a shirt, dude. You made a fucking Meatball shirt. I got an inspiration point for it. it was meatball worth it. for life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hey, all you DMs out there, one of your PCs care about your game so much that they make a fucking shirt inspiration point yeah um i don't even remember why like i said just you know us having fun (laughs) just this random npc character you created did he wasn't like a big part of the game uh but just a recurring joke almost between us as players and you as the dm to throw him in the dungeon you know as we're traversing through it to come across him you know it was just it was that was a really fun experience was that just between us again as players and the dm just to have that running joke and that one character that stood out the others of just um so you know all the kobolds like are naturally going to have the same kind of voice but even just the mannerisms when there'd be like three or four of them is like wait i know that kobold like meeball meeball you know and then like you'd kind of like start playing in with it too kind of thing it was, it was just fun i enjoyed that a lot so when you're setting up your stats there's a few different ways to do it of course you can Pick the general stats in the book where it's like, you know, 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8, that type of thing. Yeah. There's the option of rolling your stats, which 
that's how I normally do it when I make my own characters. I think that's how we've all done it so far. And then, of course, you have like the ability score point by system where you start with, you know, 27 points and you spend a certain amount of points a certain way to increase it. So, like, all six of your stats start at eight. Then, if you wanted to increase one of those to 15, it would cost, you know, nine of your 27 points. But to increase one of them from eight to nine would only cost you one point. So it's kind of like it helps you build your stats in a more specific way, but without letting them become unbalanced. Yeah. But when you're building your character, how do you do it? Do you want this min-maxed munchkin type character where you're the, you know, you're the halfling rogue? Yeah. So you're already going to have this dexterity. You're already going to have these skills. Are you going to make it to where your guy's maxed out in, in, in stealth and maxed out in dexterity, but then you're super low and everywhere else? Or do you like a balanced character where he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades and he's just now becoming a rogue, so he hasn't specialized in a certain area? Or do you just do it random? For me, I like to I mean, I mean, like to roll because it. Uh, I like that that just uh, natural aspect of creating it. Like the, You might get bad rolls. Like the very first time I made um, T-Nibbles, my, lo- my numbers were pretty low. So even, even though I knew I was going to be a rogue, my dexterity wasn't really that high. Like, I think I had a plus one on it, and that was, like, one of my best stats. Um, I like the random aspect of rolling because it's more, one, more personal because <clears throat> you can um, apply the stats where you see fit, you know, because, like, as you're going through, like, he had really, really low strength with, I mean, made sense for a, a gnome rogue. Um that was just the last stat I worried about. So, you right. know, I look at it and it's like, well, he's going to have a negative two. It's like that. It works out. Story. To me, it's kind of fun sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And like it works out realistically that his stats would be similar to that. So, no, I, I remember looking at it and like seeing the preset stats and all that. And I was like, mm, that kind of just seems a little too pick and choose as far as a character. Like as a person, you know, you, you naturally have, if you had stats as a person, you know, you mm-hmm. wouldn't just pick and choose what you want and just yeah, like just good in one area not so good in another yeah yeah you just kind of have these natural stats you're given in life like you know you might not be the best runner like so that would just be a low stat for you kind of thing well in D the cool thing is i mean at certain levels you get ability point increases yeah so you can decide that okay i've been doing this kind of thing a lot you know maybe before your strength was really low but you you figure you know i've been hanging out this party we've been hiking and climbing up these walls we've been doing mm-hmm. all these things maybe my strength went up so maybe you increase your strength right there because it makes sense yeah or maybe you increase your strength because you're sick of it being your only negative modifier yeah yeah exactly uh, either way i mean i think it's important to realize characters develop over time mm-hmm. and then if you have a dm that's going to let you do the feet system which i think is wonderful the feats are awesome Instead of getting that one stat increase, you only make it to where your strength has gone up during, like, wrestling matches or grappling, I think, is one of them. Mm. One of them is, like, your climbing has increased, your, your swimming has increased, you know, your speed has doubled. So there's other things you can do as feats instead of the ability score improvement that can also make your character develop in, in a sort of way that either makes sense or just kind of eliminates one of your more greater weaknesses. But I think when... I go ahead and when I'm making a character, I kind of do a little bit of both. I definitely kind of want to make them specialize a little bit. So if I'm making a rogue, I would definitely make his dexterity the best. Yeah. I probably would make his charisma the second best so that when I get caught, I can try to talk my way out of shit. Yeah. But I'm not going to make it ridiculous. I'm not going to have 17s in an area or something and then like an 8 or a 7 in another area at level 1. I'm going to probably make my dexterity start at 15, probably make my charisma start at 15, you know, depending on what race you are, I'll probably choose one that's going to also get a dexterity buff. So that after I built my character, 
maybe after a certain bonus that their dexterity is 16 or 15, but I'm not going to super specialize in it to where it's like perfect type of race I can be a rogue and then have the maxed out stats and then have my other stats just be bullshit. Yeah. Because I don't I just don't think that's as fun. I think one of the cool things about D&D is the chance aspect. It is writing the story with these people around you, but not knowing what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And if you max out a certain area, it gets to the point where, no, you guys step aside, I'll just open this. Or you guys watch out, I'll run across real quick. Like, it gets boring when there's when there's no possibility to fail. And on top of that, if you have these super big weaknesses and someone exploits it, like your DM, who probably gets smarter and smarter the more they get sick of your bullshit, yeah. they're going to start throwing puzzles at you that specifically exploit those weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah, I have a coworker that plays, so it's nice to talk to him just about our individual experiences. And his character, they're they're really high level. I, they're like close to twenty or something like that. So his stats are ridiculous. Um, he's a barbarian. One of his stats, he said, the only way he can actually like not affect anyone is if he rolls a natural one because his modifiers are so high that he's like, I don't have to worry about that anymore, that I just, I know I'm going to get to attack him and all this stuff, and I know I'm going to do X amount of damage, like, no problem. And anytime he describes that, it just doesn't seem as fun to me, the way he describes being his barbarian, the way you said. He's just, just been maxing. He's, he's like a munchkin character. He's got, yeah. like, 30 items equipped. And- yeah, yeah, and his party is all, like, rogues and all this stuff, so like you said, he'll tell them to step aside, and he's like, yeah, we faced, you know, two dragons, this purely uh, example, he's like, we faced two dragons, and you know, I just stepped forward and like took one while my team took the other kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's situations like that where he just I wouldn't enjoy playing with a character like that because you're just like, well, if I was smart, I would just sit back and let this character clean the floor with everybody while I just rank up experience kind of thing. So we've talked a lot about, you know, making characters and how we develop them throughout the campaign. So now let's just kind of take a, a little moment to kind of sit back and Let's talk about some of the characters that we've made. Hmm. So you, you know, you said your first character was a gnome rogue named T Nibs. Yep. Why don't you just tell us a little bit, a little bit about him? Who was T Nibs? What was his backstory? And what was your inspiration for that? Other than you, you know, you just being shorter than Parker. Yeah. Uh, T Nibs was purely there just to fuck around. The role playing aspect was still weird to me. So it would have been weird just to sit down and just dive 100% into a character like just mm-hmm. out of personality of just not wanting to embarrass myself. So for me, T-Nibbles was just me. Just sit down, hang out, have fun, do whatever. So then when he tragically died for my new character, I really wanted to like get out of that shell. But I did enjoy being him and everything that came with him. Like I said, it was mainly sarcasm was just <laughs> his biggest like trait. It uh, probably was the death of him. Oh, death. Uh, you, you literally said when I described the the haunting horror across the hill that you you were like, I feel like we shouldn't go that way. But that's just not how T-Nibbles is. Yeah. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. And within three rounds, you were dead. Yeah. Oh, he. I came close to dying a lot before that. And again, a lot of times it was just, uh, you know, enough talk, let's do this kind of thing. Or just my smart mouth getting me in situations and just dealing with that. But I miss him. He was a fun character. I think if I ever played... With another group, T-Nibbles is dead to us, but T-Nibbles might make a comeback one day, you know? Do you think you would play him differently? Maybe. Probably not. If it was different people, yeah. If I just could not think of a new character to play in our campaign, I joked about it in the beginning of T-Nibbles coming back as a white wizard, being T-Nibbles the White. Of course. I think that would 
Because I wouldn't want to just bring him back and just, like, T-Nibbles, you died. It's like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. That would actually be the way T-Nibbles would describe coming back to life. Just, yeah, I got bored with that, so here I am again. You know, no context to it, but I get that's not the most fun for everyone else to deal with, so I would think of something fun. T-Nibbles right. Delight, you know, a, a backstory of, you know, falling forever and coming back with this new power, something like that, you know. I would definitely try a new way of playing him if I could. Well, you know that the reason I started DMing was because I got so into playing different characters from, you know, I played this game for a few years and I've, I played with a whole bunch of different groups. I've made a couple of characters here and there. And I, and I liked D&D so much that it made me want to play with more of my friends. A lot of my friends have never played D&D before. Mm-hmm. So my choice was don't play D&D or learn to DM. So I started getting into DMing and it's, it's in one of those things you just kind of got to jump in. When uh, you guys first came over... Most of you I've known for quite a while. Yeah. And so I felt okay with doing these crazy voices and acting in all these, you know, acting these different characters. And then our friend Josh came, and I would say out of everyone in the group, I know him the least. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to him a few times at parties and things like that. I'm cool yeah. with him. But other than the last few months where he's been part of the group, I didn't really hang out with him that often. Now I definitely consider him my friend. I mean, he comes to my house every single week. Exactly, yeah. So at first it was kind of like, well, I'm already in character and, and acting this way in front of all my friends. I'm just going to keep acting exactly the same way. Yeah. And so I, I was able to be in character a lot more and not feel quite as embarrassed. But when I make characters, one of my favorite things about DMing is creating character backgrounds, yeah. creating this world, basically world building, creating all these histories, all these places. I like taking, I mean, I sit there and pour over these books, sitting in my bedroom, page after page, just reading and like diving into these backgrounds so that I can really provide this world to you guys that feels alive. I want you to be able to ask a question of someone and have a a, a pretty decent in-depth answer. And more so, I want you to kind of, your characters to take these things into consideration because these would be the histories of their world. So I spend a lot of time worrying about backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So when I make characters, my first thing is, okay, this is the race, this is the class. Now I'm starting to think of where are they from? What are their people like? What kind of culture do they come from? Is it Do they have a family business? Do they have something that their country of origin is known for? Mm -hmm. What would their job be? Those are the things I ask first. Those are the things that help me form their personality. What's their ideals? Well, based on their culture, he would be like this. Based on his job and what his mission is, this is how he's going to act. Or this is how she's going to act. And I'll just, you know, I'll come up with these concepts and that's how I built a character. That's how I decide their attitude. That's how I decide their background. Right now I'm playing a character on um, Roll20. I'm playing a character named Flask Okeku. And Flask is a tabaxi rogue. Flask comes from an island in Cholt, basically north of mainland Cholt, there's the mother and daughter isles, and one of the little islets off to the side is where I decided Flask is from. Hmm. And the story I came up with is he's from a tribe of Tabaxi called the Akubaku tribe. They live in these this area where there's this big temple and most of its ruins and things like that. And a lot of their society and a lot of the riches and the things they have like that are underground in these surviving catacombs and basements of these temples. But even outside like, looks like a traditional tribal-type village. And the whole thing is, at least, I kind of borrow from the actual mythology of the Tabaxi from the D&D lore and then also kind of adapt it to my own. They don't, they're a private people. There's a reason you don't see that many Tabaxi, and that's because they don't want to leave their island. My character is what I called a seeker, and the seeker's job is to be one of the chosen few who does leave the island. He goes out and he makes sure that basically the Akubaku tribe does not like become ignorant to the ways of the world. His job is to make sure he goes through, he hear, you know hears rumors, learns about what's happening, learns about new technologies, 
learns about what's going on in the world, finds these you know artifacts and these these magics and this information that he can bring back to his people. So though they can remain a private group, they're not falling dead to the rest of the world. They're simply pulling themselves away from it. I made up a, a pretty thick mythology as to why they're doing that as well. Yeah, um, but I won't really get into that here. You know, I play Flask as this character who is he is lawful neutral, and to everyone else, they're like, "What do you mean he's lawful?" And the whole thing is, well, he's lawful to the laws of his own people. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck about your laws here or what you're doing. He's not concerned with what Paylor might think. But he, at the same time, does have his own gods and goddesses, um, multiple ones, actually, that are of this ancient culture. So I think of all these details, and then that's how I decide how I'm going to play my character. I think that's a really fun way. Right now, he's like a level six rogue. I'm having a lot of fun. I went Arcane Trickster. The reason I chose that at level three was everyone else in my party can cast magic in one fashion or another, whether it be holy magic or dark magic, or, you know, they can just create a little fireball here or there. Everyone can cast spells and things. So I thought it made sense that after witnessing all this and spending time with them, that he would go the arcane trickster route. Now, my character is also a spellcaster. And so, yeah, I just like to kind of build my characters in a way that I think has a rich history, has a rich background, and then makes sense. To me, that's the biggest thing is what makes sense. So now you have your second character because your first one died tragically. <clears throat> Very tragic. Um, we even had a funeral for him. I don't think anyone saw it coming. Uh, honestly, at the beginning of that night, that was the same night that uh, we were just kind of messing around in the swamp. And um, Anyo fought that alligator and like knocked him out underwater. Like It was just supposed to be this just kind of side joke we were doing, just traversing through the swamp. And it's kind of when that happened, I, I had like a feeling. I was like, okay, like... That was just an alligator, you know, and we almost lost a character. I was like, tonight's already got an ominous feel to it. And then, as we said, we, I just, we wanted to investigate something that was just off the beaten path. And that's where T. Nibbles was tragically stepped on multiple times, which led to his death from, uh, what was it, like a... He wasn't like a golem, he, a for, forest a, guardian? Like a big forest guardian, yeah. tree ant type deal. Because uh, I had Cam's character, Macho Man. Our thing was since I was a gnome, he would always throw me. Mm-hmm. So I had him throw me. I was going to latch onto the guardian. I messed up my rolls. I fell like to his feet. He took a step, stepped on me. Next thing you know, I'm bound well, to the bottom like of the foot. you like three feet tall and this guy's like yeah, exactly. 20 feet yeah. tall. Like, in all oh, realistic, I was just a fly, you know, <laughs> kind of thing to him. But I'm just on the bottom of his foot. So as my teammates are fighting him and he's stepping around, he's just stepping on me multiple times. And that led to my untimely death, which was funny because into the whole backstory thing, 14 nibbles, I was planning on retiring that character at the end of the campaign. So I frequently joked about how I was going to retire because we went to the town of Green. Mm-hmm. I frequently joked about retiring to Greenest and opening a bar. And anytime we were in a cave, you know, I'd be like, it, someone would like uh, perceive the room and like be like, there's a really nice painting of like a goblin on the wall. It's like, oh, I take that painting and I put it in the bag of holding. And I'd be like, yeah, this is going to be a good like addition to the bar kind of thing. So I thought it was kind of funny. Of having that running joke of I'm gonna retire in two weeks, kind well, you of you know, retire in a way. Yeah, it's like the it's like the cop, you know, two weeks from retiring in a movie, <laughs> and either he's gunned down or something like that, and like that's what happened to me uh, naturally. And I didn't actually think about this until the other day. Vince and I were talking about Tina was dying, and he's like, "Yeah, I think really the only way we could have brought you back would have been the uh, spell wish." And do you remember? 
You had that, don't you? I did. It was the guy where you draw the card and it's like... Yeah, each the card. deck of many things. One of many mistakes made by me. Yeah. The, so I drew from the deck of many things and I drew a spell scroll and it was the wish spell. And I remember like you described how it worked and I was like, mm, that's a lot of thought. I was like, I'm just going to not even worry about that. And I, I sold it. And that's how I just had all the money I had. So at one point I had my one chance of coming back to life and I sold it. One opportunity. Yeah. To see everything I ever wanted and I couldn't believe it <laughs> but yeah like we were talking about it and I realized you like, literally had the wish spell you yeah, didn't wish for anything yeah and I was like and mm. you just sold it yeah I was like no just give me money and then like I said <laughs> days later I died so that's some tragic but the good that came out of that was creating my new character Mir which as you said of creating a good backstory I felt like I really did that with him because story wise we were in the middle of a swamp so it's like when I sat down, I was like, all right, how am I going to make a character that would make sense to just run across this group of travelers in a swamp? Mm-hmm. So I was like, he's T. Nibble's adopted brother. I don't remember what made me think of that. It's just the lore I threw into it. And then I was like, okay, well, T. Nibbles became an adventurer. I was like, what would his brother do? So I thought of like, at one point in their life, T. Nibbles always talked about becoming an adventurer. Mir, on the other hand, was a more simple-minded kind of guy and lazy. So they split past one day, T. Nibbles taking the adventure path, which ultimately led him to the party we're in now and his death. Mm-hmm. And then Mir, again, just trying to think of something funny. I was like, what would a lazy person do in this world? It's like, well, you know, he comes across the... <laughs> so his full name is Mir, the Grasshopper King, because he came across these endangered species of grasshoppers. So he dedicated the past seven years of his life it's in this definitely swamp. an interesting yeah. <laughs> story, that's for sure. So he's spent the past seven years of his life in this swamp, taking care of this, at one point, endangered species of grasshopper that are now flourishing. Not because so much, of him? Yeah, because of him. He gave himself the title of the Grasshopper King, and then that's that was just my way of like just explaining why am I in this swamp? Why would it make sense for someone just to be in this swamp? Right, because when you're 36 fucking weeks into a campaign and then your character dies, I don't know how other DMs like to handle that, but I'm not telling my friend, all right, well, I'll let you know when you can come back over again. Exactly. I'm going to let them create a new character, or if there's a way that they can revive their old character that is mechanically sound, I'll allow that kind of thing. And I'll work it in. As long as it makes sense, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just have some dude just come strolling up. Right. And it's like, hello, fellow adventurers. Do you need help? Well, it was actually funny because you guys have a little conflict at first. Yeah. And it's like, who's this guy? And then they they saw, you know, T-Nib's body. Like, you guys were about to set, or they were about to set fire to the funeral pyre. Yeah. And he just happens to come up and he's like, wait a minute, why the fuck do you have my brother's corpse? Yeah, and then uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just looking for Bobo. You know, he's my, my forest guardian companion out here in the swamp. And I was like, he's big and intimidating, but once you get to know him, he's real nice. Like, again, just kind of having fun with the yeah, storyline. Yeah, the fucking line. guy that killed t Yeah, yeah. And, cause, and it was t fault. He definitely started the fight. Yeah, because I said it and I described it and everyone, <laughs> everyone in the party goes quiet and they're like, oh, yeah about Bobo and you know I'm like I lost my brother and my my only friend for the past seven years like what a truly tragic day kind of thing <laughs> and then I monologued that little bit again but then you gotta make a new character yeah yeah so that's I, the kind of the fun thing when, when a character dies it's sad mm-hmm. but it, it should be it should matter that means you you put a lot of work into that character yeah as a DM, if I can get an emotional response, I mean, I don't want to fuck people over, but like if I kill a character or something happens where a character gets hurt and there's a literal emotional response from the person who was playing that character, 
I mean, that's a good job on both people's part. That's a good job on that person because they're playing their characters in so in-depth. They they truly care about them and they feel like they lost something when they die. Mm -hmm. I think that means they're doing it right. They're playing Dungeons & Dragons the right way. Yeah, exactly. And kind of into what we talked about before, like this allowed me... Teen Nibbles was already established, so I couldn't just dramatically change too much. So this allowed me to create something new Mm -hmm. and a new way to play it. So that's like T-Nibbles talks the way I'm talking now. And I was like, well, Mir's been a simple-minded man in the swamp. So like when Mir talks... How does he talk? Mir kind of... Shit, see if I can do this. I I have to spend time on my way here. I'll talk to myself in the Mm -hmm. truck and just like work on the the accent because the southern accent does come naturally, but also can kind of fade it just kind of depends on how the night goes right um so mir he uh he kind of talks a little slowly with like a little draw on what he says <laughs> and um there's a lot of pauses and uh he just he just really has to think about what he's gonna say because not everything's just kind of clear for him you know and just he likes to sit back and and just interpret the situation you know <laughs> sometimes it comes naturally and like i had a few nights where it just wasn't clicking and like i, I just couldn't do it and like it's kind of frustrating me it's the one night I just jokingly said that like I had a coughing fit and all of a sudden I was talking normal and like <laughs> that was just my way that way that night I could just not worry about it and play and talk normal mm-hmm. but then the next week um, I was just right back into that's like, one of my favorite thing. my favorite things also coming up with excuses to make something canon yeah so if somebody can't make it one night I'll literally be like yeah dude you're just like following them around being all emo staring at your shoes and shit like. He was over there dying, and they said they asked for help, but you just were non-responsive. Yeah, that or was... like, yeah, you you passed out. They couldn't wake you up, and you're just sleeping on the ground here for the whole night. And now you have to go find him. One time, it actually made sense. Was one guy left early? Our friend Cam left early, and uh, Cam is actually the producer of all the music for this show. So a huge shout out to him. But yeah, he left early, and his character went and hid up behind a tower. The rest of the crew ended up getting basically team wiped by an enemy. And they all got taken captive. So the next week it made sense that the only person who didn't get captive was the person who left early. And because his character said he's going to specifically go and sleep somewhere, it worked out great. He got to sneak down through this, like, bandit headquarters and try to break them out of where they were being held prison. It was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, I always liked when it just... It worked. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we all... I always try to make up something. Yeah. It's fun. I feel like we all are just creative enough people that, as I said before, it's not just like... It's not just like, well, you disappear. You're not there. Like, you know, it's it almost always we have like an idea of why we're not there and not just not just a cop out, not just you just weren't there that day. You know, no big deal. Like T Nibble's flaw was that he was an alcoholic. And I remember there was like uh, one time I wasn't able to make it. And so we just said that I was just in a drunken stupor, passed out somewhere kind of thing. And uh, again, it made sense story wise. And then I, I wake up and find my friends, you know, kind of thing. So I always liked when we do that. So we have spent an extensive amount of time talking about player characters. Mm. So i just like to take a few minutes to talk about non-player characters. Okay. So like I was saying earlier, when I make characters, I really obsess about their background. Yeah. That goes with non-player characters as well. So when I'm trying to make someone come to life for you all as the players, there's a lot of different things I try to focus on. One of the first things that comes to mind is when I'm creating a character is, first of all, I build them all like a player character. Yeah. I give them stats. I give them skills. They have weapons. They have equipment. And if something happens to them, you can damn well loot those equipment and weapons mm. off of them. Like um, Erky. Um, yeah, Erky hey. is one of the more memorable yeah. characters. Like with Erky, I always try to make a memorable characteristic. Mm-hmm. With Erky, I tried to make him have this really powerful... 
he talks like this. Yeah. And then be Erky Timbers. The only problem with Erky is every time I try to talk with him, I have to start with an arg as it gets me in the mood. And that's one of those things like with Flask where I have to pause yeah. the game, mute it, and then practice with him. It's like I have to go arg before I can really get into character. Like he's a fucking pirate. He's not even a fucking pirate. For for Mir, it's just saying my name. Like uh, that. Like I said, I'll practice in my car here. So mm-hmm. have the music off. Be like, my name's Mir. Uh, my name's Mir. Hey, my name's Mir. And just you know, try to tweak it and find which one's best. I'm like, cool. That's the voice. Like, got it. And sometimes it doesn't work. Like I'm having. I'm struggling to do it tonight. Well, a lot of times you get a character who's a little a little NPC that you either just made up right then, or it's someone you spent hours creating. Or it's someone that's just mentioned once. Erky Timbers is actually a character from the Sunless Citadel. That was our first His campaign. job is to be a guy who's in prison, and you let him go, and he thanks you a lot, and he gives you like 15 extra gold when you get him back to town. Hmm. Erky Timbers has been like the main connection for your guys' entire campaign. He's part of our group. Erky Timbers was such a hit with you guys that he's basically part of your group. Yeah. You guys have, oh God forbid, you literally have... He has almost died, and you've been resurrected so many times. Hey, he's broken to- nearly all his bones. You guys made him immortal some we fucking did- how. We didn't make him immortal. Parker, who I'm glad this came up because he did some shit talking on me on episode one. So it's time to return the favor. Parker, despite what he says, is a chaotic evil person. <laughs> and I maintain this, and I will argue this. And uh, he's the one. Erky was dying. He had his legs bitten off by the, the... I can't remember if the Nefleshnee is what did it to him or what, but he had his legs bitten off. He was dying. Parker had this immortality potion and didn't tell Erky what it was. He just told him that it would make him better and then gives him this potion and is like, yeah, you're immortal. And mm-hmm. like... From my standpoint, that was a pretty fucked up thing to do to somebody, you know? This man has to he has to watch his family die. He has to do, like... A lot of things went down. Yeah, yeah, like his life is forever altered because Parker, without telling him, made him immortal. Well, even to this day, because the last time you guys checked, talked to him, you did bluff checks. Well, you didn't do bluff checks. You did yeah. deception checks. Every time <laughs> something would come up, you guys would convince him and roll, like, a natural 20 or something. Hmm. Now he is he's convinced that he is immortal. Oh, he's yeah. convinced that he cannot die. He literally doesn't have legs anymore. He, I, he had to get like a steampunk mech suit yeah, body put him in so that he can walk around. I mean, he's pretty badass. Yeah. But he has completely changed. Now his character is believes he's immortal. And now his character thinks he's a total badass. And really, he's just a gnome who really needs to eat some food because he's like tiny and thin and frail. Yeah. And he has no leg. Yeah, I don't even remember the last time we talked to him. He was single-handedly going to try to... Beat, yeah, uh, you guys convinced him he's immortal, so he said, all right, I'm going to go kill Tiamat, and he yeah. starts marching away with, like, a rifle. Which is what we're doing as a as a whole, and <laughs> losing people, and this one guy who we've just, I, honestly, his life might have been better if we just left him in that cage. Well, now he's in water deep with no legs. Yeah, exactly. What are the things that make you, as a player, really remember an NPC? What makes them memorable? What makes them awesome, or funny, or cool? It's either the voices, obviously, are going to be a thing to... The same way with someone else, like an actual person, their voice kind of sets them apart. Just personality traits that kind of stick out amongst the rest, like some that seem like you might have just spent a little bit more time investing in character-wise compared to others. Like, I feel like some, we forced it on you, like with Meatball. Um, I feel like that was not a thought-out character, that just over time you just had to add these traits... And then again, same with Erky. Like, I've always wondered if Erky was meant to be with us as long as he has, or is just, that's just the way it's worked. Well, he's like your connection to the Harpers. Yeah. The Harpers is the main reason you're going on this mission, mm. you know, stop the possible rise of Tiamat. Yeah. 
But so, uh, he's like your lifelink to the whole campaign. Yeah, but uh, again, just personality traits like the string of pearl uh, character. You like string of pearl? Yeah, <laughs> just walking. That's Parker's favorite. Yeah, just walking by. Buy string of pearl. Just oh, one hundred gold. You buy string of pearl. I like you. Fifty, fifty gold. Half, half off discount. Yeah, that stuck out so much, and it was just a small two minutes worth of our story that one night, and uh, that's I feel like something everyone remembers. Just uh, like I said, just the voice and personality-wise was just different than the run-of-the-mill character because some and i get they have to be when they're more proper or something like that it's just just like talking to a normal person you know yeah mm -hmm. they can't do too much to naturally stand out but some random guy on the street some uh haggler trying to sell you something he can be out there and that just stands out sometimes well i think that we've done it george do you have anything else you'd like to uh, bring up for our listeners about making characters or character development no just really just kind of throw caution to the wind and try voices it's definitely more embarrassing at first but i think me personally it has definitely changed the game like i said that and when you talk out of character it kind of makes it easier to know what's happening in and out of story wise yeah just just try voices it definitely puts you in the game more you stop playing a game and start being in part of the game you know yeah, for me, I think if I had anything else that I wanted to just leave my listeners with, that would be, like George had said, pride voices. Get into your character as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Create a backstory. Create some awesome flaws that are yeah. funny or really detrimental and can basically that can be exploited. Create opportunities for your DM to make this feel more real and to make you more connected to the world and just go for it yeah. go all the way create an in-depth backstory have a character who can change over time and yeah use those voices yeah go in i mean you're you're having fun you're playing a game of make-believe so why not just do it all the way exactly yeah all right that is all we have for you today on character creation this is the end of the first segment of our show. However, we are not done yet, so stay tuned because we have a lot to cover in today's deep dive. But before we get to that, I would like to take this moment to thank our sponsor, Dungeon Crate. They make all of this possible. Here in the Force of Alandril, we elves defend the woods from beasts and men. I myself have helped drive off goblin raiders, slain a giant spider, and composed an elven symphony for the Blood Moon Harvest Festival. And that was before lunch. So when I'm not sliding down the trunk of a barbarian elephant beast after killing it and its occupants with only my dagger and a few arrows, I look forward to coming home to a dungeon crate. Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service crafted specifically for RPG and tabletop gamers. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handmade items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. As an elf, I appreciate quality craftsmanship, and Dungeon Crate delivers, even if it's put together by humans. Sir, sentries have discovered several dwarves and a wizard trespassing in our woods. I was wondering what that smell was. DungeonCrate.com. Are you ready? Let the adventure begin. Once again, that is Dungeon Crate, and you can go to DungeonCrate.com to use the coupon code DICETALK to get $5 off of your order. Before we continue, I'm going to take this moment to read out one of our 5-star reviews. This five-star iTunes review was submitted by Comic Nerd Pat, and it is entitled, 
Behind the Scenes D&D Talk. It's always cool to hear how other dungeon masters deal with scenarios that you will most likely encounter yourself. Good information and well thought out. Keep it up. I'm excited to see what you have in mind for the future. Thanks, Comic Nerd Pat. We really appreciate that, as do we all of our reviews. If you would like to get a shout out the way that Comic Nerd Pat did, then go ahead and leave us a five-star review so we can read it out on the podcast. Reviews really help to let us know how you are feeling about our show. They also help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. But with that, I think I'm done here. So without further ado, let's move on to the deep dive. Welcome to the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a portion of the show where we dive in and take a deeper look at some of the more specific elements of Dungeons & Dragons. This, of course, can be a character race, a creature type, a class, a religion, a god. This could be focused on a background, or it could also be focused on a specific locations anywhere within the vast vast multiverse that is Dungeons and Dragons. But tonight we chose to focus on a lesser mentioned character race, and that is gnomes. George, you've played a gnome. I love it. Why don't you tell her why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about gnomes? I feel like you gotta be a certain type of person to want to play a gnome. Cause uh person- They're like halflings that aren't lame. Yeah, exactly. Like, first part, I just, you know, I just like gnomes. I don't know why. I think you just, there's good aspects of them. Um, you just got to enjoy the tiny aspect of it. If you can get past being really small, and that's, I feel like that's what most people struggle with, and uh, you can have fun with them. To me, I like gnomes a lot because they're small. One of the cool things about being small in D&D is you're only considered a small type character, mm-hmm. which means you can hide under any medium or large sized character. So if your group got done slaying a giant, you get to attempt to hide underneath him. And when another monster comes stalking through the room, you're nowhere to be found. They just glance right over you because now you're going to have advantage on that stealth roll. That really kind of works out for the type of characters that would be hiding. Maybe if you were playing as a gnome, traditionally you would be playing as a rogue. Or like you said, a lot of them have that spellcaster kind of ability to them. So maybe a wizard. In most cases, the type of class that you're going to be playing when you're a gnome is going to be this frail kind of DPS type character. Mm. Maybe this character that has the potential to deal a lot of damage or kind of do these very specific, intricate kind of sneaking type things. But you're not going to be this tank. You're not going to be a powerhouse of health and defense. When you're playing with those squishier classes, it's really good to be able to hide with that ability of being small. That's a sensitive phrase since my gnome was squished. Um, just like to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Feelings died with T-nibs. But um, so, you know, we have our gnomes. They're very small. How tall are they normally? Two, three feet? I think like three feet max is uh, for them. Yeah, um, you get a three foot gnome, he's like freaking giant. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, again, a weird thought to kind of wrap your head around. So but, they're shorter than dwarves. Yeah. Um, I think a foot. I think there's like a foot difference. Are they shorter than average. halflings? How much do they normally weigh? Because I know halflings can be pretty light. According to the book, halflings are generally only about 40 or 50 pounds. 
It's about the same for gnomes. Um, I think it's like 40, 50, 60, something along mm-hmm. those lines. Nothing too crazy. You could probably make your gnome fat and add weight to them, you know, story-wise. But other than that, anytime I've ever seen pictures of them, they're always these small, more skinny creatures, you know. Um, you got to think they're living in the woods, so they're probably more active as far as like foraging, climbing, moving around. You know, they would just have this natural skinny body to navigate through things. Right, yeah. Gnomes, they're described, at least in the Dungeons and Dragons mythos, Gnomes are described as being these very happy-go-lucky type creatures. Mm-hmm. They're kind of reflective of what you might imagine when you think of an elf, like a Christmas elf yeah. that works in a workshop, tinkers with these tools, this small little pixie-type character. Or um, you think of like Dobby, the house elf from Harry Potter or something. I always He's more Smurfs. reflective. Yeah, Smurfs. That's a really good allegory as well. That seems pretty similar. Spot on, like as far as living in the forest and all that. And then, of course, you have your traditional garden gnome, which... Mm-hmm isn't exactly the way that they're portrayed in Dungeons and Dragons, but it's really not that far off. Where did you kind of get some sort of inspiration for how you played T-Nibs when you were playing a gnome character? I feel more on like the trickster side. From my understanding of like official gnome lore, they were either discovered or found by uh, Glittergold, I think it was. Girl Glittergold is yeah. the leader of the gnomish pantheon. Yeah, yeah, and like story-wise, I think he, like like I said, either found the first one or somehow birthed him from gyms, and he, it started with a joke. He whispered a joke in their ear and then led them into the forest, and then that became what we know as gnomes, and that's why they have this more giddy, fun personality and why the trickster is like a big part of them. It's because it's just all about the joke, all about having fun, and that's what T-Nibbles was, was all about having fun. My, it's either my bond or my ideal, I can't remember which one it was, but it was just, I may not be around for a long time, but I'm here to have a good time, and that's just, right. I just wanted to have fun. That was why he was with the group, that's why he was doing what he was doing. It was fun to him, he was enjoying himself, and that's all that mattered to him. He didn't and really that's care. That's not a bad way to play a character. Yeah. If, at the end of the day, you're playing D&D because you do want to have fun. So exactly. if you just have a character who's adventuring because he wants to have fun, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no harm, no foul there. Yeah. And on top of that, that kind of does fit in with the nature of the way gnomes are described um, yeah. in, the, in the D&D world. You know, they're these happy-go-lucky type people that just want to have fun. They kind of see a joke in everyday life. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like these hobbits that aren't quite a waste of space that they actually have some sort of magical ability and aren't super lazy and live in these complex societies. I didn't uh, I didn't bring this up, and I probably should have in the last segment of just backstories, but T. Nibbles, the reason he left his hometown was that he pulled a prank that went wrong. It was the big dance uh, in his hometown, and he greased the floor, and like six people died <laughs> by running onto this greased dance Did floor. Did he worship Garl Glittergold? No, no, it was just, it was supposed to be funny. Because uh, Garl Glittergold is all about pranks. Yeah, it was just supposed to be funny. He greased the floor. People ran out to dance, and like they slipped, and I guess, I didn't think it too far, you know, <laughs> but six people was died. It like, <laughs> was it like the end of Carrie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he just, uh, he had to get out of there, and so him and his brother, they dipped out for a while, and then that just kind of like I said, I don't have every detail of their backstories planned, but that was just one of the things of why I was out of the, my hometown was a prank gone wrong. You know, yeah, you just need a little place to start. And coming up with a specific incident like that, I yeah. think, is really a wonderful way to kind of develop a backstory for a character. Yeah, yeah. You start with something small and you start building from there. So when we're talking about building a gnome character, mechanically, all your gnomes are going to get a plus two boost to their intelligence. Mm. And that's because, you know, that's kind of reflecting that nature they have to be able to have this 
arcane bloodline to kind of have these base magical abilities just for being a gnome. But more than that, there are different sub-races of gnomes as well. So there's forest gnome. And a forest gnome, these are the types of gnomes that are more focused on magic. And these are the types of gnomes that are also going to have like a higher amount of stealth to them and these Mm -hmm. naturally sneaky abilities because they're hiding in these. I mean, they are forests, but in this kind of world, they're pretty public places they're sharing this land like right beside the elves and besides the fae and things of that nature. And so they have these very cleverly hidden homes. Mm. And so those are the types of, you know, forest type gnomes. And they're going to have an extra plus one to their dexterity. Your other option is the rock gnome. Yeah, a rock gnome. That's right. And the rock gnome doesn't get a bonus to his dexterity. Instead, he gets an extra plus one to his constitution because mm-hmm. they're kind of like dwarves where they're a little bit more hardy. And they have this ability to withstand things that are uh, more durable. And, you know, these are the types of gnomes that, while the other ones are really friendly and focus more on, like, this life with nature and animals, the rock gnomes are underground. They're mining. They're working metal. They're kind of these masters of architecture and artifacts. These are the gnomes that are more common to kind of how they're um, displayed in the world of Warcraft where they're kind of these super intelligent beings who are tinkering and making all these different advanced findings and all these different inventions. So those are the other kinds. Now, the third type of gnome is one that's very often overlooked. I see no reason why a player can't play this third race, and that is, of course, the deep gnome. The uh, the smear and the bloodline of the gnomes, as T-Nibbles and Mir would say. Well, they're not evil, though. They're not like drow. I have no idea why I said that the first night. Someone, that one, It robbed me. That's what it was. It was a deep gnome that robbed T-Nibbles. And like when anytime someone brought up deep gnomes, I was like referring to them as if every other gnome looks at them as just like these peasants mud of our blood. race. Yeah, mudblood. Exactly. And it's just been a funny reoccurring joke, especially like looking more into them and realizing they're actually like these smart gnomes, but... They just kind of look a little bit more gnarly because they don't see the sun as often. Well, yeah, they live in the Underdark. Yeah. I'm going to try my best to pronounce this here. The Deep Gnomes, also known as the Sverfneblin. Sverfneblin? The Sverfneblin. Sverfneblin? The Sverfneblin. Sverfneblins. Let's just go Deep Gnome. Yeah. So the Deep Gnomes, they live in the Underdark. And for some reason, I don't run into a lot of characters, NPCs or player characters, that play these Deep Gnomes. Personally, I've never played with someone who played a deep gnome. Yeah. But I see no reason why not. I mean, it's not even like the drow, who you can certainly play as a non-evil character, but deep gnomes aren't even evil. Mm -hmm. They just live in the Underdark. They live in this super harsh, oppressive type world, and it seemed like you were saying, almost like they're shunned by the other gnome culture. Yeah. It's like the gnomes hate them because they live underground, but they live underground because the gnomes hate them. Yeah, yeah. I had never really come across them until you sent that one at us, and he was just an NPC, and you just... You know, upon, like, just describing his looks and, like, just saying he's a deep gnome, that was really all I had to go off of. We have taken a decent look at how the gnome culture more or less functions. So let's move into some of the more complex natures of the gnome. And, of course, I'm talking about the deities. So taking a look at the gnomish pantheon, first of all, it's a lot smaller than a lot of the other playable races pantheons are. But this group of deities is known as the Lords of the Golden Hill. Of course, their leader is Garl Glittergold. He is the god of luck the god of humor, trickery, and gems. He is basically the top of the pyramid that is the Gnomish Pantheon. A few others that are, I'm not going to go through all of them, but a few others that are worth mentioning are um, Kaladoran Smoothhands. This is the god of stone, mining, and the Sferf Neblin. So if you were to be playing as one of these deep gnomes, it would be good to probably maybe worship the Kaladoran Smoothhand because this is kind of like this primary deity of the deep gnomes. It is a god that, you know, 
would make sense as that type of character for you to worship, and certainly one that you would at least have knowledge about, even if you chose to worship a different gnomish god. One more that I cannot go on without mentioning is the only evil god in the entire gnomish pantheon. And this is a god called Erlden. Erlden is the god of bloodlust, evil, hatred, and destruction. These are not traits that you normally would pair with the with any gnome. Yeah. But just like with humans and just like with any playable race, there's always a bad apple in every tree. There is definitely a chance for anyone to be evil because remember... It's not like a group of people or a race is evil. It's individuals who are mm-hmm. evil. So just because you come from a certain character race does not mean you have to play by the standards of that race. I have played with drow, mm-hmm. who were still good characters. I've played with elves, who were evil. So like in our one-off game, I played the goblin, who was marked um, as like a betrayer. He had the mark of shame that he was branded with. And like they are typically evil, but I played him as a good character. Mm-hmm. And he was a barbarian, and I specifically made his um, flaw. When he came across any other goblins or hobgoblins, he went into, like, a blood rage. And, Mm -hmm. like, I had to fight them was a thing that, like, even if it was, like, I knew that there was a hundred in a room, I knew that was going to be a risk putting that into my character, but I thought it was just a cool aspect of playing this character commonly evil, like, would be a situation like that that would probably come up and definitely make the story interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think it's always a lot more fun to just play what's more interesting. Yeah, exactly. So besides the regular just picking a race and then making your character, what do you think would be some really interesting ways to get gnomes involved in a game? From a player's point of view, what kind of situation can I bring forth that you're kind of like, wow, I, I did not expect that? Like if you came walking to an encampment and you see all this fire and you see these like people strung up on these ropes and you see all these like, you know, corpses being burned, you're like, oh shit, goblin raid party. Yeah. And you go over there and it's like, oh, top of the morning to you. And it's <laughs> yeah. like four fucking gnomes. You're like, but they're like batshit insane. Like- yeah. Yeah, they're just yeah. literally insane. Or th- no, no, just something like that. Like, can you think of s- some sort of situation that you just be like, what the fuck? That's a good one. Cause, or you're like, damn, that was awesome. Yeah, that's a good one because like you said, you place them as these happy-go-lucky people. So that would be fun to come across in a campaign. Even if you didn't come across the bodies first, but you came across the gnomes first. Because instantly everyone's just going to like not see them as threatening. And like we would most likely welcome them in our group. Not if you describe, not if there's well, bodies strung no, yeah, up that's and what I'm burning saying. corpses. If we just were walking in the woods and we came across these four people out fishing, four gnomes out fishing, we talked to them and like, maybe they're like, Oh, we can show you like where to go. We would not think them threatening at all. Right. But it's like, they take us to their house and like, if they're casually like a body's tied up on the table and they're just like casually like eating a body, like is no big deal. And is normal. That would just be a mind blowing experience. <laughs> <laughs> And then they're like, what's wrong? Is it cold? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you're not leaving right now, are you? You just got you just got here. Like, <laughs> Then one of them locks the door. Yeah. <laughs> the whole we're going to have you for dinner joke kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, putting a twist on them kind of. Yeah. For a gnome, yeah, it'd be the opposite. Mm-hmm. At first he seems so trustworthy and good, and you're like, man, they're just gnomes. And nice then, guy. yeah, some crazy shit. They're, they're feeding you dinner. You hear a thump, and he's, oh, don't worry about that. And it's like in the back room, one of the other gnomes goes back there and checks on it. Yeah. Then you're eating your soup. You find a ring in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe a pinky. Actually, you should remember that. That's when one of you goes, okay, well, I think we have to go. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a fun thing to put our group through, uh, which, you know, you'd have to do it before this episode came out. But I think that I would like to see everyone's uh, reaction to that. That's a, a nice situation. Or it's funny. I was sitting here trying to think of, you know, what would be another good example to make a gnome more interesting? And we already mentioned it. Erky Timbers. You have this guy who's a gnome. He was a cleric. He's starved and kept in this prison. 
You save him. He's not just a cleric. He is an undercover agent for the Harpers. He's a badass. He is a badass. He is one of their upper... Upper level. And as you guys found out, he's only like 30. Yeah. A gnome can be, it said, from about 300 to 500 years old. Yeah, Teen Nibbles this was This is like a teenager, and he's a badass. Yeah, Teen Nibbles was 169. Yeah, and he yeah. acted like he was 12. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you have this guy, and he starts off as normal. You know, make him really gruff, make mm. him smart. He knows all these different things. And then what ended up happening to him? He gets hurt all the time. Mm. He's literally broke both his legs, broke both his arms. He's been mended. One of his legs got ripped off and eaten by a demon. The other leg, he was spun around by that same demon. And when he went flying, his leg was still pinched between his fingers. Yeah. Now he is immortal because you guys, I call it a curse. You guys said you saved him. Mordai. Parker said he saved Mordai him. Mordai said he saved him. Yeah. Mordai cursed this poor, helpless, helpless gnome <laughs> with no legs. Just wanted to have a family. Now he just has to watch his family die. And then what do we have him now? Now he's in a <laughs> steampunk mech suit. Yeah. He is super awesome. He has a gun arm that can shoot a harpoon with like a hookshot type thing on the end. The only downside is, of course, you know, the crew's going through this area. They're sneaking. There's this loud voice at the end of the tunnel. They're really creeping along. They don't want to make any noise. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> again, here comes Erky Timbers in his fucking <laughs> mech suit. It's like automatic fail on stealth rolls. Plus his personality change. At, you know, at first he was a really good and really good guy. Now mm-hmm. he's like this gruff badass who thinks he's immortal. Oh, yeah. You guys convince him that not only can he never die of old age, <laughs> but now he can't even be slain in battle, oh, which isn't true. He can die in battle. We've taken our toll on him personality-wise. We've definitely skewed him in a direction, be it good or be it bad, just by being around us for so long. Um, so that just goes to show it. You can have a gnome be, you know, your yard gnome with a little, a little red hat and a yeah. beard and he likes to play with bees and pick clovers and things like that basically a leprechaun or you can have a gnome who is running around wearing a steampunk mech suit has a gun arm yeah thinks he's immortal and is probably going to make a lot of terrible decisions before dying a very painful death there's so many ways to incorporate gnomes into your game just get creative with it i think people always want to limit them just being small and what they are i think people naturally have a preset idea and don't think they can go too far out there with the character, but you're not limited at all, you know, just with D&D. Even the rules are just a suggestion. Exactly, yeah. Um, it's like what I what you said, my second character, Mir's a ranger. You said most people just basically make Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, yeah. and I'm far from Aragorn. Yeah, I know, um, you're more like Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, George, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I think that's it. All right, well, that's all we have for this week's Deep Dive. I hope that we were able to give you some interesting ideas and some helpful hints regarding gnomes that you can bring back to your own game at home. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for Episode 3. I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to both entertain and inspire you. Do you have any interesting ways to include gnomes in your games? How do you usually go about building your character? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or even just say hi by going to DiceTalkShow.com. There, you can engage on our blog with the Dice Talk community, explore our image gallery, and stay up to date with all things Dice Talk. If you want to find us on social media, you can search on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, 
please leave us a five-star review. They really, really help to get us to the top of the charts so that Dice Talk can reach even more listeners. We will continue to read out our five-star reviews in future episodes, so rate and review us, tell us what you think, and listen out for your shout-out. Until then, tell your friends about us, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening to Dice Talk, and be sure to tune in next week for Episode 3. 